at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. of the It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast. I am your host, Dominic Lanza, and tonight I am joined by Scott Moss. Hey, guys. And EJ Fagan. How are you two tonight? I'm well. How are you? Great. We got we got a new player. Santa brought us a player. gift. Yes, yeah, it's true. He's back. Santa brought us a gift for Christmas. So I, I guess we might as well just jump right into it. Uh, we're recording... It's a Thursday night, December 8th at around 10 o'clock, and we decided to record this because of the Yankees signing, I don't know if you'd say signing or re-signing, Araldis Chapman to a five-year, $86 million contract, making him the highest paid reliever ever, taking that, I don't know, a distinction away from Mark Melanson a week after Mark Melanson earned the title himself. Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I we, we kind of all knew this was coming. We weren't sure if the Yankees were going to be the high bidder on Chapman. Um, and it seems like they may, may not have been the high bidder on Chapman, but they were close enough at $86 million that um, I guess his preference was to come back here, so he came back. Look, I think Rollis Chapman is a top two or three reliever in the, in the game of baseball. I think he's still at the height of his powers. And, you know, I think this is the new price for, for relief pitching. I don't think this is the... Papelbon or Cordero contracts, even though frankly the Papelbon contract worked out, um, I think this is I think this is a, a fair market price for uh, the best reliever in the game. Uh, for what it's worth, I think it was Jeff Passan, might have been Ken Rosenthal, confirmed that the Marlins' offer was five years, ninety-one million, with opt outs after each of the first two or three seasons. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah that's so crazy. He took the lesser deal because the Yankees gave him what it's an opt-out after year three and a no trade clause to California teams. Yeah. That's a little, well, it's, it's a no trade clause after the opt-out. So he has a full no trade clause before the opt-out. Um, so the Yankees can't kind of just do what they did last year and trade. Him I again. thought the no trade clause was only to the teams in California. I believe, and I can check this really quickly and it'll be trade rumors while we talk that it's the, the note the, the California thing kicks in after the first three years. But, I mean, my, my general Holiday's... reaction... Oh, God, go ahead, Scott. Did you hear about Matt Holliday's no-trade clause? I no, did not. Oh, 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 yeah, it's only to only to the Oakland Athletics. Yes, only to the <laughs> Oakland Athletics. That is he must have hated his pissed. time there. His, one, his like, half-season with Oakland. <laughs> so back to Chapman. But, I mean, so, so... All, all I wanted to say, sorry to interrupt, just because it feels like I might be the dissenter here, is I don't like this contract at really? all. Um... I don't like the idea in the way this whole luxury tax situation seems to be unfolding, uh, dedicating, I don't know, 10% of the salary cap to a closer as they're trying to get under it. Um, Because now they have $30 million to a DH with a very mild no-trade clause (laughs) and Araldis Chapman this year 
when they're trying to reset by the end of this year. And it just seems seems strange to me both this year and going forward. So I think two things. I think one is that I don't think I so the new CBA, the details aren't final yet, but (laughs) excuse me, it seems like the um, the penalty for being above the salary cap in, in, in multiple years is going away. Um, and so the Yankees don't have as strong of an incentive to get below the luxury tax for like one year to do the little dip below thing. Um, and uh, the salary cap itself is going to go up slowly. I'm sorry, the luxury tax, <laughs> it's a Freudian slip, I guess, is going to go up slowly. Um, so the Yankees, I don't think, are necessarily going to shoot for below that threshold. The other reason that I don't like this deal too much is that I think, EJ, we're the same mind that they're not really a contender in 2017. Yes, they're in that middle ground where teams that are basically around 500 ball can get a little lucky, then eke into the playoffs and be like the Royals or the, I don't know, 1985, 1987 Twins or something. But they're not really a playoff team until 2018, 2019 for real. And yeah, they have them under contract for years, but they have them under contract for his age 29 through 33 seasons, like any four to five year deal of a guy who didn't hit free agency super young. He's not likely to be nearly as useful at the end. And unaffectedly, while Sam was just saying something that I always thought, but hadn't put into word as well as he did, unsurprisingly, which is that when you're signing pitchers, there's such a high attrition rate, the rate at which they just fall off over time, they'll decline, they'll go off the cliff, they'll get injured that you want to sign an expensive pitcher when you know you need him and not a year or two in advance. So, yeah, I see the argument that there are a lot of good relievers on the market now and there aren't a lot of good starters on the market. So you sign him, you have him locked up for 2018-19, but, boy, a guy who lives on throwing 103-104 with a crazy motion, are the odds great that he's going to be this good in his 30s? No. So I, I don't know that I love the commitment. Now, it's just money on the one hand. It's not my money, so I'm glad they have him. He's fun to watch pitch. But you just hope it doesn't leave you thinking in 2018, 2019, boy, we could be good these years and we could use another pitcher, maybe a starter, but we can't because we got the money locked up in Chapman. All right, so I, I disagree for two reasons. Uh, the first is that I think that Chapman is a pretty good bet. I mean, for one, this is a long-term contract, but you're right. It's it's the final season. Um, I believe this is age thirty. Yes, yeah, age thirty-three season. Um, that's not that old. And the other thing is that Chapman is arguably just had his best season as a major league pitcher, um, or maybe his second best season as a major league pitcher. His walk rate went down. His velocity went up. Um, his strikeout rate stayed elevated and was very good. Um, he was great, and you know he he's he's not overworked. Um, you know, there's there's no sign of him declining yet. So yeah, maybe maybe those last couple of years are aren't great, and that maybe that you know he doesn't opt out if if uh, if he's a bit on the downhill. But as far as bets go, I don't think it, it doesn't hurt the Yankees long term. I think to sign him. And the other thing I'll say is that I think the Yankees they need to find some place to spend the money. So I, I've got this payroll uh, spreadsheet I've been linking to in the blog, and I, I've kind of just kind of like ad hoc calculated uh, the Yankee payroll obligations. They're at $200 million for this season. That might go up a little bit if they, they add some guys or might go down if they trade some guys. But next season, they have just $95 million under contract, and that's if CC, if uh, Masahiro Tanaka does not opt out. So, you know, they could have $100 million to spend next offseason. There aren't that many free agents to spend $100 million on, and... I don't know if the, you know you'd want the Yankees to spend money on, on crappy free agents like that, 
Whereas, you know, now you got you got a you got the best reliever who's going to be available for a couple of years ready to go. Why not sign him? You know, maybe worst case scenario, he's replacing a traded Dylan Batances or or you just making this team better. I don't think this is a contending team. I don't think it's out of the question that this is a wild card team. This is you know, we we got major upgrades at first base coming in, DH coming in. Um, and now, you know, we just, you just have to fill a couple of those, those whole spots, you know, right field with a good player and, you know, pray for some, you know, some pitching <laughs> to, you know, anybody to pitch on this team. And, um, it's not that unreasonable. I don't know what the, their postseason odds are at this point, but, you know, 30, 40%, you know, I'll take a shot at Chapman if that, if that, those are the odds. I, the, the two things that bother me about Chapman beyond the contract are one, I believe in second chances and everything, but I still feel icky with everything involving Chapman. And that's that's not going to go away anytime soon, so maybe that's a bit too biased. But I'm also bothered by the fact that he was very vocal in Chicago to the media about not wanting to pitch for more than three outs. I don't know if that was because he was worried about getting hurt, heading into free agency or what, but going to the team that would be the eventual eventual World Series champions and say, no, no, I'm a closer, I get three outs and I'm done, rubs me the wrong way. But yeah, he, in the playoffs, he, he pitched long extended outings and was capable. I mean, he, he was I mean he was gassed by the end of Game 7, but, you know, gassed, you know, Aroldis Chapman still throwing 98 out there. I'm, I'm so not disputing I, I that know. he succeeded doing it. I'm saying I don't like hearing a player be so vocal in that regard. But I mean, yeah, he he was vocal, but he he still did it right and won the World Series doing it. I mean, I don't I don't see what the problem there is. I mean, look, he's going to be our closer. He's going to be operated like a traditional closer. Maybe we ask him to get four outs every once in a while, but this is why you have you know the Dylan Batances on the team. Yeah, but when you're talking about a player who was said to have coachability issues in Cincinnati, then had the domestic violence issues. And then said he wants to be used in a very specific way. It just it's not a good look. I'm not yeah, saying it I means mean, he's a disaster. I, I, I'm just saying he overall the intangible qualities are not a good look for him. Yeah, but I mean he's he's also he's not um, Chris Sale, right? Like he's not he all those uncoachable qualities hasn't led him to you know cut up everybody's jerseys in the locker room. So the the domestic violence stuff bothers me, but other stuff doesn't. I mean. He's great. Uh, you know, all those coachability problems haven't become a performance problem. No, but again, it's just something that I think you have to watch for. But going into the luxury tax issues, there are repeat offender penalties um, and, and surcharges beyond that. This is from a fellow Sweet Spot Network blogger, Dave Schoenfeld. Uh, the penalties are the first time over, you spend 20% of the tax... 20% tax on the overage, second time is 30%, third time is 50%. Beyond that, there's an additional surcharge based on how far over the luxury tax mm-hmm. you are. It's graded, so up to $40 million, you get a 12% surcharge. Um, $40 million over, you get a 42.5% surcharge. So okay, there so are still repeat- have some incentive to dip below. They still have a pretty decent amount of incentive. He actually used the Dodgers and the Yankees recent years as um examples and both the yankees and dodgers would have paid more luxury tax under the new system than they did under the old system so if anything i think they should be more incentivized to dip below the luxury tax now but that's i mean that's all guessing 
Sorry about that. That was a minor technical failure on my own part. We're going to move on. <laughs> we'll see how, how fancy I am with the editing uh, in a minute. Uh, tripping over my own feet in my closet isn't going to work too well. Um, you know, I, I just want to just, just the... Uh, I do think that there was a, there was a revenue-sharing consequence to being over the luxury tax before for the Yankees, I think. Well, what what Schoenfeld broke yeah. down included that what they were losing from oh, did? Okay. the revenue-sharing, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I, yeah. So the Yankees have incentive to go down. If you look at their payroll obligations, I think next season is that season. Especially if you think Tanaka is going to opt out, um, the Yankees would struggle to be over the. To, they they will. It will be difficult for the Yankees unless they really want to do something stupid to hit the luxury tax in twenty in twenty eighteen. Well, the luxury well, tax is based off drive. of yeah. your payroll for the season at the end of the season. So Right, right, right. But I'm saying so this season they're over the luxury tax already. So unless they make a trade, they're they're, yeah. they're out of luck. Next season they are if Tanaka opts out, they have like seventy seven million dollars under contract. Um right. So you'd have to spend a hundred million dollars plus in new obligations yearly. Yeah. Um, in order to get over that. And there's just not that many free agents. Um so I think you dip below in twenty eighteen and then you come back with a vengeance in twenty nineteen. Well, also, yeah, I think I they're think likely the to trade. They're likely to trade Gardner because I don't think Cashman would have floated that idea with a guy who's still going to be around in a couple of years. So, and so that's basically, uh, depending on how you count the buyout, another thirteen million a year gone for the next uh, two years. Well, Scott, yeah, why don't you know, tell us the whole uh, the whole comment that you're talking about there to lead us into our next topic? Oh yeah. So, in case anyone didn't see it on Twitter, Brian Hawk or Hotch, whatever, said. Quoted Cashman as saying that the Yankees are done with their biggest moves this offseason. Quote, unless I trade Gardner. And then Cashman added that he's rejected offers for Chase Headley. And I thought those were both interesting because Headley and Gardner were talked about. I was skeptical that they'd get traded because they're not exactly super hot commodities. But Headley, I never bought the rumors that they trade him because they don't have someone really to play third base without him. Right? Miguel Andujar isn't ready and though i like him he's not a sure thing blue chip prospect that you could rush and gardner i was just skeptical that they'd get a lot of value for him given that he's a left fielder who is 33 this coming season and has two years left and is good but somewhat declining but i suspect that cashman wouldn't mention that publicly unless he really thought he's getting rid of gardner i don't know if you guys agree yeah, I mean, my question is, what's the backup plan, right? I mean, the Yankees are, now that they've signed Chapman, they've clear, they're clearly going for it at least a little bit next season. They may not be going all in, but they're going to try to contend next season, at least for a wild card. And if you trade Brett Gardner, you still need to fill right field. And so you have two open spots in this roster, and you got to find someone to, to, to play there. And I don't see any free agents that I think really, you know, can even really be great platoon um people in Brett Gardner's space and, and replace his production. So maybe you trade him for a starting pitcher. I guess that's the only kind of move I can really think of. Um, I think I agree on Headley. Same thing is that you have to fill a spot at third base and although Headley's not all that good, uh, you know, there's not that many people, there's no one out there to fill a spot at third base unless you want to get, pick up, you know, Pablo Sandoval. Yeah, which is just another reason I'm skeptical of trading Gardner, which is I, like Dom saying, you'd want something like a starting pitcher, but Here's just a data point. The Rockies have been shopping Charlie Blackman. Charlie Blackman's actually a really similar player to Gardner. He's about an average center fielder, but that's good. But 
Gardner basically is a really good left fielder, which is to say he could probably pull off average or slightly below average center field. And Gardner's basically been just over a three-war player for the last two years. Blackman's been a little more up and down. Um, 2.1, 2.4, 4.4-war last year, but is three years younger. The point is the best guess is that either of them is probably a three-war player this coming year. Blackman at three years younger might be a little more appealing. So here's the thing. Toronto just turned down Stroman for Blackman straight up. Now, Stroman's younger. He's a starter. He seemed exciting, but I've not been sold on Marcus Stroman. He's basically an average starter who's turning 26, who's five foot eight. So, yes, he has some pedigree and whatnot, but if you can't get someone like Stroman, an average starter who's young, for Gardner, then a Gardner trade, I suspect, would look a lot like a McCann trade. You get some just enough prospects that it's not a pure dump, but... The, a Gardner trade would make the team worse because you're not going to get equivalent value. You get some prospects, and then you're a little bit working across purposes with signing Chapman and giving up a couple wins in the outfield, and then who plays the outfield? I guess as of now, some rotation of the outfield being Ellsbury, Hicks, Williams, and certainly I don't think Judge and Frazier are quite ready or can be counted on to be ready. We'd see how they look in the spring. Tyler Austin isn't really an outfielder, so they'd have to sign somebody, but then... If you're training Gardner to sign an outfielder, yes, Cashman is someone I have confidence in that he can be playing three-dimensional chess, and maybe he has some outfielder in mind to replace Gardner with. But in a sense, why do you think you can get value for Gardner if you could replace him on the free agent market? Do you really have such a stupid trading partner that doesn't know that Gardner can be replaced with a free agent so they shouldn't give up value for him? So I don't see how this is a productive thing to do. Well, I I think the Yankees' best potential trade partner for Gardner is out of the market now because the Cardinals needed a center fielder mm-hmm. and a leadoff hitter, and they signed Dexter Fowler today. Um, right. And they were the most commonly cited trading partner. Um, the one thing I will say is I don't know that the signings of Chapman or Holiday are necessarily indicative, indicative of the Yankees trying to contend this year. I think... That Chapman, even despite my misgivings, is clearly a nod towards the next few years. They're betting on his next few years. And Holiday, they just, they needed a DH, you know? And they're not going to bring up a young player and stunt his development by putting him at DH every day. That's not something you do, especially for somebody like Judge or Frazier, who are both slated to have a good bit of value as fielders. I mean, so, but I, I think that's why you have the distinction between going all in and trying to take a shot at the playoffs. I don't think. I think they're I, not stepping into the starting pitching market yet. Is a reflection of them being willing to tread water more so than just you know. Well, like, well, like the starting pitching market. If you, if, we, if everyone reads Dominic's post of kind of going looking for free agent starting pitchers, it's not good. Right, like I'm not confident that really any of those guys are better than Jordan Montgomery, except for maybe Jason Hamill. Um, so I mean, maybe there's just no options out there in the starting pitching market, and the Yankees are are just kind of getting as many wins as they can. My, my point on Gardner is that look, if you're going to take a, a weak shot at the playoffs this year, and maybe you are betting Chapman helps you in the next you know year or two after that, you know I think that Gardner is the player to have on your roster. Right, you're, there's no real long term liability in keeping Gardner. And he's a two to three win player that, you know, will, you know, will fill that hole. I mean, if you replace Gardner with a replacement level player or like say like Mason Williams is like a 1.2 win player or something, you know, it's becomes really hard to make that wild card spot. I mean, my point more so is that 
the Yankees, as of now, very potentially have three garbage starting pitchers in Pineda and whatever the hell the rest brings. And I just can't see a team saying we're looking to contend even in like a nudge and a wink sort of way without doing something on the market, be it making a trade or, you know, going harder after Rich Hill who would have fit into that same kind of Chapman mode or, you know, even going after like Bartolo Colon or R.A. Dickey as mediocre as both of them were last year. They're two guys who have thrown 180 innings every year. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure either of them could succeed in the American league anymore. Um, I mean, my, my thought there is, you know, the Yankees, they basically were turning the same pitching staff as last year and they weren't that bad last year. I mean, they were, I think they were one of the top five starting staffs in the league. I'm waiting for fan graphs to load so I can actually confirm that. But, you but know, they're they're out on, they lost Nova, they lost Ivaldi, Sabathia, I loved the resurgence, but I wouldn't bet on it again at age 35. So. But nobody of Ivaldi are, are net are net gains just by replacing them with a replacement player <laughs> versus last year. <laughs> they were both bad with the level, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, but I mean, Nova was was replacement level, and Evaldi was well below it. So, I mean, I, I I don't think I just don't think that we, yeah, we last year we won eighty four games with basically this pitching staff, and you know I think the Yankees have reinforcements down the farm. I have faith in Jordan Montgomery. I have faith in Dietrich Enns. Um, that's about it. <laughs> um, but you know, I I again I I think the Yankees are rolling the dice, and they're you know they're they're not expecting to win. But you know, I think they're not expecting to be probably. You know, they're not. They're not. Pro- they probably aren't going to make the playoffs. But I do think that they have a shot at it. I mean, compare. Look at the compare our 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 pitching staff to the to the Orioles pitching staff, right? I mean that the Orioles pitching staff is a hot mess, and they they did well fine enough last year. Um, the Red Sox pitching staff last year basically looks like our pitching staff this year. In fact, it was, it was it, David Price and a load of crap, right? I mean. Um, I so I, I don't I, I'm not that worried about this this Yankee pitch. I, I I don't think it's a strength, but I think that they can make do. Uh, okay, I mean I'm I'm not I'm not going to die on the hill of you defending three starting pitchers, one of who has been terrible for two years, and then two shrugs. <laughs> but I think well, one thing this shows when you think about it is that yes, I get that one reason they built up the bullpen is that's who was available, but. With the addition of Clippard last year and seemingly not converting Warren to a starter and now signing Chapman, I suspect that the – I think we're seeing that Severino is more likely to stay in the rotation simply because they need someone badly in the rotation and they have a pretty solid bullpen now. And I'm kind of glad about that because I was worried that they could do something like decide, well, we have a lot of starters, even if they're mediocre, but they're proven. And now that we traded the relievers – we need bullpen help, so let's leave Severino there. You know, I get that he was terrific in the bullpen, gained some velocity, didn't have to worry about the third pitch, but I think it would have been premature to give up on a guy who will be only turning 23 during spring training as a starter. So I'm hoping this means they don't see a need for him in the bullpen, but they do see a need for him in the rotation. I mean, I also think we need to reevaluate our expectations for starting pitching, right? The Yankees last year were an average staff. I looked it up. They were eighth. In starting pitching last uh, last season, um, that's eighth in ERA. That's eighth in, in in WAR, right? I mean, they they were they weren't great, but they weren't bad. And because run scoring has ticked up, has increased so substantially over two years ago, 
you know, Michael Pineda's 4.82 ERA, and we can argue whether or not that's going to be repeated, but his 4.82 ERA is bad. It's below average, but it's above replacement level, right? And so, you know, two years ago, 4.82 would have been, I think CC Sabathia had basically that and was the worst in the league. This year, he's better, you know, he's got better ERA than, you know, five teams. I think Fangraphs War also overrates the Yankees because pitch starters because Pineda's ERA has been more than a full run worse than his FIP for two years in a row now. No, just and, just sort by war and we're still in the middle of the pack. I'm sort by ERA, I'm sorry, and we're still in the middle of the pack. Yeah, but ERA has its own flaws too. I'm just I'm just saying, I mean, you're you're more bullish than I am. That's and that's fine. I mean, the Yankees, look, the Yankees weren't good last year, but they, they had a FIP of 4.4, right? They had an ERA of 4.44 for starting pitching. If you have an average, let's say let's say they're an average starting team, right? It's an 82-win team just by starting pitching. Let's say they have an above-average bullpen, and let's cross our fingers and hope that Greg Bird and Gary Sanchez and, and Didi Gregorius and everyone else gives them an above-average uh, you know, set of, set of position players. All of a sudden, you're looking at an 86-win team, and that's all it takes. Well, yeah, and they could be better just because they're not going to feel compelled to trot out guys who can't cut it anymore. And specifically, as much as I like both of them, it became pretty painful to watch Teixeira and A-Rod at some point last year. And <clears throat> any year you could have some guy that stinks, but there's more of a, I think, a sentiment to keep playing them even when they were bad. Yes, they dumped A-Rod. So the point is, I think there's some addition by subtraction where I'm not as pessimistic or cautious about Greg Bird being healthy. I think he can outperform Mark Teixeira's 74 OPS and uh, negative hitting war. And without A-Rod, you know, Holiday, even if he declines a bit, is going to be better. So you can get a couple wins just out of those positions. And yeah, point taken, the starting pitching isn't going to be worse given that it was a bunch of dreck around uh, Tanaka largely. I mean, they were negative two and a half wins on their own, right? So if you replace them with, you know, let's say Matt Holliday's a two-win player and Greg Bird's a three-win player, right? That's a net gain of seven wins. Not seven wins. I can't do math right here, right? Five, five and a half. No, wait. Seven and a half wins. There we go. Uh, seven, and a half, seven and a half wins just with, like, some fairly reasonable assumptions. That doesn't mean that those are probable outcomes, but it means that they're, they're like, good enough outcomes, Right, and none of the other guys in the offense were really overperforming such that you expect them to fall to earth. I mean, it's sort of sad, but when you look at OPS Plus on the baseball reference page, literally among the starters, there are no three-digit OPS Pluses. It's all in the 50s to the 90s. Now, that ignores the fact that Sanchez had that heck of a third of a season, but the point is that... And two-thirds of a season of Beltron killing it. Right, right, right. Yeah, fair enough. But the point is, I think the offense is only going to get better because, you know, Beltran plus A-Rod was on the net negative um, from that basic, you know, right field slash DH position. So, yeah, I think they could be a little better than last year with a couple of things falling in place. So, yeah. So, I guess the next topic would be the Rule 5 draft where the Yankees lost... I don't know. Maybe we should say like two and a half interesting names. <laughs> um, two, two names that are interesting and one name that was interesting in 2012. Yeah. So on the major league side, the the two names that um, mean something to me at least are, we'll start with the guy who they're definitely not getting back. Um, and that's Tyler Webb. Tyler Webb is a left-handed reliever. He's, what is he, 26? Something like that. Yeah. 25 or 26. 
Um, and the Yankees aren't getting him back. He has pitched in AAA for two years in a row. He's been good at getting lefties out. And he's going to the Pirates who know how to use their pitchers to their platoon advantages. He's just... He's going to win a Cy Young Award next year. No. Uh. (laughs) Um, He'll be the new Jeff Locke for them. But no, he'll... There's nothing... It's probably one of those, you know, nothing of value was lost situations there. I I think he can be a pretty good loogie, but, you know, he's he's a pretty good loogie. He'll be the sixth inning lefty guy that, you know, you you don't realize is on a team's team for the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, And, you know, they have a few decent guys a few guys already who were in AAA last year who can do the same thing. Um, oh, they got a bunch of lefties on the 25-man roster I can't even name at the end of the season. So Yeah. Right, Joe Bimo was one of them, right? Yeah, Tommy Lane. Yeah. And then James Pazos, who's gone now. Um, And the other one who has actually been traded subsequent to the Rule 5 draft, and I don't even know how that works, is uh, Luis Torrens, the catcher. He was... Uh, drafted by the Reds in the Rule 5 draft and then shuttled over to the Padres. Luis Torrens, I probably would have still had in the Yankees' top 20-ish prospects on upside alone, on a relatively, on upside in a relatively high four alone, I should say. Um, but he's a catcher who missed a full season of development with shoulder surgery and has exactly zero games above single A. Yeah, I, I mean, if it wasn't the Padres, I'd say he, he, he probably is not going to stick on a major league roster, but he's a good enough def- excuse me, a good enough defensive catcher that I think he's gone. I, I, I think I think you, you pick Luis Torrens expecting to have a throwaway season where he's your backup catcher and sits on the roster the whole time and doesn't do much. He's a good player. He's got a crazy good arm. I'm not sure how that, if that lasted through surgery, uh, shoulder surgery. Um, he missed all 2015, came back last year, and had like a, a okay season last year. I think he slugged like 340. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I would probably have him somewhere in my top 20 prospects, or, or at least in the very back end of it, or, or you know, mid 20s somewhere. But you know, especially with Gary Sanchez, and he's he's expendable. The only thing I'll say um, is that the Padres do still have Christian Betancourt who they're said to be bringing into the regular season as a catcher slash reliever mm. and Austin Hedges, who's not tar- Derek too Norris far moved. Still, I think, right? Who? They still have Derek Norris too, right? Uh, he was traded to the nationals. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That's um, gonna suck. Sorry. He's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they have a couple of catchers who are already there and they also have a decent prospect who's a good hitting catcher who should stick behind the plate in um, Austin Allen, who is projected to make it to the majors this year too. So they kind of have Torrens as this guy who's never played above a ball behind Austin Hedges. Who's the guy they should focus on developing Christian Betancourt, who is just kind of like an interesting experiment and then they still have like Hector Sanchez under contract and it's Austin Allen as a prospect. It's kind of a weird situation for a catcher that you have to develop to be put into. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, but I mean they traded for him, so you have to imagine they have a plan there somewhere. And you know, yeah. Torrens is a is a lottery ticket pick, right? He's a he's a, a something a terrible team should do, which is just, you know, uh, see if his tools work out and maybe he ends up being, you know, uh Johan Santana or Josh Hamilton. 
He's got the tools. To, he could Luis Torrens. If you told me that two years from now Luis Torrens is an All Star, I would not be shocked. Yeah. Um, for what it's worth, I was just looking him up, and uh, MLB.com has him as the Padres' twenty third best prospect now, um, which is a pretty solid ranking. The Padres have a good farm system. Not as good as the Yankees, but still not a bad system to rank so highly. No, he, yeah, he's definitely a legit prospect. But you know, the part of the problem with the Yankees having such a deep system is that they're going to be losing guys in things like the Rule Five Draft. Um, so you know, you know, I, 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 you know, they, they, they probably thought that there was some risk that Torrens would be taken. But you know, he's probably coming back. I, I said before, I don't think he's coming back. I think he's got a good chance of sticking in that roster. But there's also a really good chance he comes back. Right. I think he's and, coming back, yeah. or the Yankees are getting something for him in a trade. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, the, the Padres might might keep him and then give him send us, you know, <laughs> pick someone on their roster. They might be really good. We'll take Jankowski. There we go. And then uh, the half player I was talking about was former first round pick Ty Hensley, who the Rays took in the Triple A phase of the Rule Five Draft, which means you said he has to stay in Triple at least in Triple A all year. I believe so. That's the way that it works. Um, but he, I. I I'm trying to find some confirmation on that because I have no idea, but he hasn't pitched since 2014 and he had a second Tommy John surgery in May or June of this past year. So, um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think and he's, he's already, he's already uh 23 years old. So it's like, you feel bad for the guy. He had the surgery. He was, he was stabbed outside of a bar in January <laughs> of 2015. Um, Oh yeah, the guy has no luck. The guy like picked up a penny with the wrong, you know, facing the wrong way. Yeah, and the um, just I finally found the confirmation making this great radio. Um, unlike the major league portion of the Rule Five Draft, there aren't any playing requirements to keep players at a certain minor league level. Only an upfront twenty four thousand dollar acquisition cost. So, ah, uh, okay. The Yankees gave Ty Hensley a few million dollar signing bonus, and their return was twenty four thousand dollars. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's too bad, but, uh, you know, it tells you why high school pitchers are so scary. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's that's about it for the Rule 5 draft. I don't think there's anything else worth talking about. Um, the Yankees did not select anybody yet again. Um, I mean, I know that uh, the Yankees recently lost a minor league free agent in uh, Jacob Lindgren, who signed with the Braves, I believe. Scott had something to say about yeah. him. Yeah, just there's a really interesting one because this is a guy who um, was really exciting. People were excited to see him with the Yankees. Then he needed surgery. He's out for all of 2017. And it just seems like they might have anticipated, I don't know, maybe resigning him. But the Braves basically gave him a million dollars to sit on the bench in 2017 just so they'd retain the rights to him for his remaining several years of uh, Major League team control. So uh, on the one hand... It could be a smart move by the Braves in that paying a million dollars for a guy who has seemed to have as much talent as Lindgren with those strikeout rates and two quality major league pitches, you know, a million dollars, not a lot as a lottery ticket or buying an option basically on him. On the other hand, I've never been high on Lindgren. His control was terrible at all levels and then he got injured. So there's just not a lot of sign that he has the promise we all hoped he might especially since he's not going to pitch again until he's 25. Uh, and even at that, it'll be a 25-year-old coming off Tommy John, which is less than 100%, with all of seven major league innings behind him. So, And 
the Braves, I forget who exactly it is. Maybe you guys know. They have some folks from the Yankees on their staff. So at some point, they kept signing guys from the Yankees. But I think after seeing how Manny Benuelos was completely useless for them, just terrible in the majors in 2015, terrible in the minors in 16, I think we can rule out the notion that they're like the Padres who either can strike gold or turn lead into gold, alchemy, whatever. So I don't expect Lingren to amount to much. I'll kind of be happy for the kid if he does. But I don't. it's not much of a loss, but it's just striking how far he fell from grace so quickly. Yeah, I think he was rushed. You know, when they, they drafted him and they almost immediately brought him, up, brought him up to the majors. And he never had any time to really work on anything in the minors. And I think everybody was saying that he had, you know, his big, uh, I think it was what, big slider. Was right. He was supposed to be Billy Wagner 2.0. Well, I mean, he he had he was a, a top college relief prospect. You know, the Yankees have been good at finding those guys, right? They found David Robertson that way. They found Mark Melanson that way. But, you know, he just wasn't it. I mean, the only, I think the legacy, I wonder, if, of Jacob Lindgren is if it'll ever change because the 2014 draft class hasn't been too great from the point he was picked on. Although the only thing that will probably bother me Un, un, unless he busts as a... The other guy the Yankees were linked to with that pick was a Brent Honeywell, who's now in oh, really? the Braves system, and he throws that wicked screwball. Yeah. And I would have loved to see him, but, you know, he's... That, I mean, that's it. It's another guy who's still a prospect. So this isn't like Cito Culver, who, you know, was taken two picks ahead of Aaron Sanchez and four ahead of Noah Syndergaard. But I guess we'll see if it turns out this was using the powers of hindsight, a disaster for anything beyond Lindgren just never really being able to pitch. Um, so then I guess to close, I think it makes sense to touch base uh, a little bit on the White Sox fire sale, both because, as Scott said before we started recording, it probably makes the Red Sox, I don't know, the team to beat in the American League at the very least. Um, yeah, by far they're the powerhouse. And, but I, I wonder what it means for the White Sox because the White Sox acquired potentially the best position player <laughs> prospect in the game in Yon Mankata and the best pitching prospect in the game in Lucas Giolito. Um, that's not that's not a grand unified theory on either of them, but. You know, getting guys who were at least coming into this year were arguably at that spot, plus Michael Kopech, who throws 100 miles per hour and is a top 100 prospect in his own right, plus Reynaldo Lopez, who's another top 100 prospect in his own right, plus more, getting that sort of talent injection into your system, especially guys who are all at the upper levels of the minors, because Mancada, Lopez, and uh, Gilito all pitched in the majors this year. And should do so again this year. So this is kind of one of those kind of maybe quick and dirty rebuilds or reloads where you get young talent that's going to help you right away. So you're hurting your team, but you're not gambling on the future as much because they're players who've reached that high already. Um, But I kind of I'm interested to see what EJ's take is, because I think my view on both trades is a little bit different than the norm. So, EJ, do you want me to say why first, or do you want to say why first? 
I mean, I'll just say quickly, I, I think Adam Eaton is a very good player on a great contract under control for a long period of time. And while Giolito is a good prospect, he's no longer the top number one prospect in baseball, or there's no really argument for him. He had a bad season. And maybe he has a Noah Syndergaard-like comeback, but um, I think that his value is lower than what they got for him. Yeah, I mean, all I was going to say was um, a lot of people are saying the – the White Sox got a lot more for Eaton than they did for Sale, or at least more for Eaton than Sale relative to who they are. Oh, no. Oh, I yeah. disagree with that. But I disagree on a few levels. One is Eaton and Sale will make the same amount of money over the life of their contract, but you're getting two more years of Adam Eaton for that. Two is that Chris Sale, jersey dismemberment aside, I love Chris Sale. I would have loved him on the Yankees. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. I also would not be shocked if he pulled a Tim Lincecum and went from best pitcher in baseball to replacement level pitcher in one year because of how violent and unique and weird his mechanics are. And his velocity is not going down though, right? It went down a mile and a half this I mean, year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? a mile and a half oh, per hour. Wow. Huh. Oh, but there yeah, were those reports, happen. and there were reports before the season that he was going to try to pitch more to contact, and then he did. Now, sometimes when a guy loses velocity and then gets fewer strikeouts, like Sale, that's just post hoc rationalization. Like it was, it was always my plan to not have elite stuff anymore. But they yeah, I could run five this- miles if I tried to. Right, exactly. Right, I, I just decided to walk rather than run. Uh, but he, they did say this before the season, so. To my mind, I think that's probably true, and that bodes well for Sales' ability to retain his ability to be a top pitcher if, like everybody, by his late 20s, early 30s, the velocity goes down a mile an hour a year or so. But Sale also said that was largely going to be because he was going to change his pitch selection, and per pitch FX, he didn't. So, I don't know. I guess I don't know, but like I said, he's been a ticking time bomb forever because of his mechanics. That. For all we know, he's going to be Randy Johnson and will stay healthy forever. But I'm just happy the Yankees have all right-handed hitters. But pitchers are still that pitchers. That rotation is all left-handed. Pitchers are still pitchers, and they come with more risk than hitters for basically that reason alone. But I, I, I think the Red Sox are better off with him, and I think that they're the team to beat clearly because of it. They 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 improved on their greatest weakness and added you know one of the best stars in the league. Um, I think the Red Sox paid a price for it. I, I, if 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 we could have had Adam Eaton for the price the White Sox paid for it, I would have paid that price. Uh, but Yohan Moncada is damn good. Um, but my last point is uh, the package the White Sox got back, and you kind of tipped on this, EJ, for Eaton is inherently more risky than what they got back for Sale because the White Sox got three pitchers back for Eaton. They got back Moncada... And Jose Alexander Basube, a shortstop, or no, excuse me, an outfielder prospect from the Red Sox. So they at least spread. And Michael Kopech, I think? Right? Well, Kopech's a pitcher. I'm just saying oh, yeah, the, na- the Nationals sent over all pitchers. So the, the White Sox are getting all the risk that that entails. And position players are inherently safer than pitchers. So I just I just think that people are exaggerating a little bit when... They say they did oh so much better for Eaton because one, it's underrating Eaton, like you said, and two, what they got back for Eaton is much more risky. There's an argument that Adam Eaton's a better baseball player or more valuable to a team than Chris Sale, right? I mean, I you know I, I think we're underrating 
people have underrated Adam Eaton because he does it in ways that you can't observe as easily as you can observe, observe a sale. Well, he's similar to Jason I mean, Hayward I think in that respect. Eaton. Although yeah, that's not yeah. a great comparison well, you know, because we Hayward was this yeah. year. Well, hey, hey, well, one of them's on. Well, the, for Chris Sale, let's hope he does a Jason Hayward. This is... um, so you know, look, I think I think it's good on the Red Sox, and the, the Red Sox are clearly going for it. They are going all in for the next two or three years, and then that team starts to break up and get old and opt out and get expensive and all that stuff. So, um, you know, the the Yankees will have a window. The Red Sox aren't going for the perpetual powerhouse that like the Cubs are. Um, Dave Dombrowski is not a guy who saves for the future. Let's hope let's hope he does to the Red Sox what he did to the Tigers. Let's just say that. I also I had an interesting question about the White Sox, you know, I guess call it a fire sale. Um that I wanted to posit to you guys. Using saying that, you know, depending on the return, and saying that the Yankees might want to contend this year and think their window opens next year. How much would you give up for Jose Quintana? Keeping in mind that Jose Quintana is potentially under contract for four more years for less than $40 million. Former Yankee released farmhand Jose Quintana. Yeah, the Mets and Yankees Uh, both gave him up for nothing. Yeah, and he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball over the last couple of years. Um, I would give up a lot. I'd give up up Glaber Torres for him. Yeah, I think I would too. I mean, he's been a four to five war pitcher on average, probably four and a half for the last four years. <clears throat> and he's only turning 28 this coming year. So, yeah, I think he's he's sort of like Adam Eaton in that he doesn't get mentioned much as one of the best. But there are guys who are 4.5 to five war players like Quintana or Eaton in the right year who get mentioned as best player around. And these guys don't as much. He's so consistent. He's He's been yeah. the same pitcher for four straight years. 200 innings, low threes ERA. Which would get you underrated, right? Because if you had one year of a 4.5, another year of a 2.6 ERA, that's actually less valuable, but on average the same. But then people talk about you because of that one year. The Yankees made the playoffs with him in the rotation. If you add him to the rotation last year. I mean, yeah. that, that's how good we're talking here. And the Yankees need starting pitching. And he's on the on the on under contract for a long time. He's only 27. He's a lefty in Yankee Stadium. I'd love like, even if the Yankees, even if you want the Yankees to keep rebuilding and not like blow their prospect load yet, like if you, if you woke up tomorrow morning, flipped to MLB trade rumors and saw that the Yankees traded, I don't know, Clint Frazier, Jorge Mateo and Ian Clarkin or something for Quintana. I mean, I'm not crazy, right? I'd be, I'd be stoked. I would do a little package. What yeah, you're basically I, describing is what if they took either the return they got for Miller or the return they got for Chapman and turned into Quintana? Yeah. Right? And in that scenario, I'd say, hell yeah, if last year they could have traded Miller for Quintana or if they could have traded Chapman for Quintana, that'd be such a coup. So, yeah, which is to say that if you can get Quintana for one of their elite prospects and one or two other guys who have some chance of a future, yeah, I think that's a solid return for this guy. Thing is, I think those are all the reasons why they're less likely to turn return to sell Quintana. I mean, this is a team that they're clearly. I think Dominic's right. They're trying to go for a quicker rebuild, yes. and so they got guys in their roster that that aren't under contract for four more years. You know, they've got. Uh, I think Jose Abreu's got one or two more years. Todd Frazier's got one year or something like that. Brett Laurie's a free agent contract in a little bit. You know, they want to get rid of some salary and guys like David Robertson. That that makes sense. I don't. 
you know, if I'm them, I'm str- I, I don't trade Quintana unless I get blown away. And I'm not sure I'm willing to blow them away. No, I mean, I, I'm well, not sure what, that's, what that looks like. I agree that they're looking for the fast rebuild because the return for Eaton, for example, yes, Gio, you know, Giolito's a top prospect, but the other guy they got, I don't know much about him, Ronaldo Lopez, but I think it's telling that two of the three pitchers they got are MLB ready. They both had basically a, mm-hmm. you know, a cup of coffee, a couple starts last year, but they're not thinking let's dump everything and be good in three to four years as the single A arms evolve or something. Uh, but that's to say that they're hoping to be good within the time frame that they still have Quintana in his 20s and under a good deal. I mean, for what it's worth, Can I mention another Scott Ronaldo Lopez. I would probably say is Luis Severino with the 25 better percent, 25 percent better chance of sticking the rotation. Yeah. One be. name I would love on that roster, um, if he would come with a what I would expect to be a very low cost, is Melky Cabrera. Bring him <laughs> back. He was a he's a he was a two point six win player last year. He hit pretty well. You know his defense is <coughs> excuse me isn't great anymore, um, but you know he's he can still hit. I mean, if, if did the White Sox have any? Yeah, I mean, I'd give the them any relievers they might want to trade. I'd give them an interesting package to try to like if you're trying to paper through this year knowing you're not going to get another tax maybe make a splash maybe have some other stuff to flip i mean i would try to do something to get like david robertson and uh and melky cabrera back robertson sucks now what'd you say i mean we got we got rid of robertson at the right time well i don't think he sucks yet right now 3.470 era last year he has walk rate is, is is sky high his strikeout rate is is a little bit lower than his career average. 3.41 the year before. He's allowing home runs. He's, I think, yeah, he's 31 he actually, years old. He's kind of the same as Tyler Clippard now, basically, right? He yeah. has a solid strikeout rate, gives up some home runs, and therefore his ERA will probably be in the low threes. That's Tyler Clippard. Right. I mean, I, I think we can replace that with not just Tyler Clippard, but like, you know, the 15 guys at the AAA that we couldn't protect for the Rule 5 draft. Well, I'm not saying to blow them away for him. I'm saying that. I wouldn't mind taking him back for something if they were just trying to cut salary at this point. Especially because I think Robertson, the age might be the issue, but he was much, much better. His peripheral stats were much, much better in 2015. And then 2016 might have been the warning sign with his walk rate going back to his Houdini days in 2010 and 2011. But like I said, it depends on what they're looking for for those guys or if they're just freeing up space or whatever they're doing. I mean, I'm not sure I would take him for free. I think they'd have to take salary back if I was going to take David Robertson. I just, really? There, there are better guys. Out. Look, you say he's not that different from Tyler Clippard, and we have Tyler Clippard, and we have <laughs> Jonathan Holder, and we have you know a bunch of other guys, you know Adam Warren, who you know maybe Robertson's better than any of those guys, but he's not that much better than any, any of those guys. Um, and he can't be optioned down to the minors, and you can't release him if you think you know if he's having a bad season. And you know, it, I just think there's better there are better options. I love David Robertson. I'd love to have him back on this team. Let's reunite the 2009 you know World Series team. We'll bring back Melky. We'll do we'll do it all. Or was I Melky just looked it up, team? and I think I might agree with you now. I hate to say it because I just looked up his salary, and his contract was slightly backloaded so he's owed 25 million over the next two years oh and damn okay i'm not convinced he's quite that good anymore you're right he's basically a three and a half era player era slash fifth player and that's clippered and yeah they probably at first when you said jonathan holder or other guys at triple a thought oh come on and then they looked again and yeah he's not a guy who will have a sub three or three era again reliably i do i'm i'm really interested to see what they do i think i think following them 
Aside from the Yankees, I think following them might be the most interesting story of the rest of the offseason. I guess that or seeing whatever the, the hell the Marlins similar. decide to do. Right, right. Because the Marlins is sort of like just watching rain the moves. Oh, I will also say the Rockies making a, some insane oh, moves. Oh, like, how stupid are they? Ian Desmond, it gets better. Ian Desmond, who's at best you could say the poor man's Ben Zobris because he can play every position except catcher. So, of course, you sign him and say he's your first baseman, where he's the least position of value for a guy who can play a competent center field and shortstop. But, you right. know, you, don't, you uh, have yeah. five outfielders. You have amazing players at second, short, and third. And right. so you go, oh, okay, Ian Desmond, you know, your only value to the rest of the world is that you can play these defensive positions and be an okay hitter. We're going to put you at first base. It's so funny, why so do people deep, say that so... Ian Desmond can play every position? He's never played first or third in the majors. And he's played five games at second base in back in 2009. He could play third. What? He's, he's played the harder ones. You know, if you're a competent shortstop, then like Steven Drew, for God's sake, in his 30s, shifted over to second. Starling Castro did. He played a competent center field. So the theory is that he's played a couple different outfields. He's played short a little second. He's played center and a corner outfield. You know, you can downgrade to those other positions. So he could play those. But, you know, agree, it's dumb. And I was just going to say that. The reason I brought it up is not just because I'm in Colorado, but there are actually so few dumb teams now, you have to say. It used to be that we all came of age watching the Moneyball and pre-Moneyball era when the one to three smart teams, the sense was they're about to run the table. But nowadays, there's so few dumb teams that it's kind of entertaining to watch the Marlins, Diamondbacks, and the Rockies just spin in circles doing weirdo things. I think this Rockies move is the worst move since the Diamondbacks had the Shelby Miller trade. <laughs> I mean, I, I, they, they, we didn't mention they gave up the 11th overall pick to the qualifying. Yeah, for a team that's not good pick. now. Yeah, for a team that's not good for the next year or two. Well, I, I think I actually think that they they have a shot this year. But I mean, you could have signed Adam Lynn to play first base. This is a team that they're not going to use him in the outfield. This is a team that can't find playing time for David Dahl, one of the best outfield prospects in the game. Right. Well, they I now mean, have playing time for him, but the point is that they, yes, they, they're wasting Desmond for $70 million. You could sign a better hitting first baseman and, you know, rather than a guy who's a talented enough guy to play shortstop and center field, but is new to first base. There's not going to be a whiz there. So it just, it makes very little sense. There's some talk they could trade an outfielder, but it sounds like they're getting too clever by half if that's the plan. I mean, you could so, trade a worse, a worse player than you would, you would draft with the 11th overall pick for like Jose Abreu or something. Do you want, and just have a much better for first baseman. It's just, it's stupid. Do you want to know the funniest thing about the signing for me with him being a first uh-huh. baseman, at least unless that would change his OPS plus was three points better than Mark Reynolds, who he would be replacing. <laughs> for right, five exactly. years and, and $70 million. million and, contract and a draft pick to gain less than a handful of points of OPS plus. Right, the Rockies the were putting that, it together. They were going to be uh, good. They, they really were. They looked I, smart last year. I say this as a fan. I mean, the, 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 the scatterplot among my Rockies fan friends is, is there some convoluted trade scenario they're about to do that makes this make sense? And the only thing I come up with is if they trade high on DJ LeMayhew and have Ian doesn't play second base, but I don't think they're really going to do that. I don't get the sense there's a plan. Yeah, I mean, they'd have to trade two outfielders to put him in the outfield. So in short, you know, to recap, bring this up, it could be worse Yankees fans. If you don't like something you're doing, <laughs> you could be also a Rockies fan like me. All right, so on that note, um, again, we're going to keep trying to get these reaction podcasts out as the Yankees make moves or moves that could affect the Yankees are made. And just as a quick reminder, as I said, I'd be doing from time to time, 
please rate and review us on iTunes. Recommend us to your friends, your family, your loved ones, maybe even your enemies. If you hate us, who knows? Um, anything else, gentlemen? Nope. Scott, you're included in that gentleman yeah, statement. Good. Oh, I was just letting EJ speak for me. It's always a good policy. Uh, we're good. <laughs> All right. Have, Scott's good. Have a good night, everyone. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.